0: we're back your favorite podcast show of every single week this is location weekly and we're recording live on april the 20th uh this is episode number 513 uh ariana how are you
1: i'm hanging in there doing pretty good yeah yeah how are you
0: all right. All right. We're uh, there's hope on the horizon. You know, they just announced that uh, people 40 and 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 over now can get vaccines here. So I uh, I'm closer to that 50 range, but uh, I, that means I'm in the group. So, uh, yeah, it's good. I'm uh, looking forward to that. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So
1: hope is good. Yay, Hope it's good,
0: and and, and <laughs> you know on the baseball front, uh, my Blue Jays, you know they're hanging in there, they're doing okay, um, but we still haven't seen George Springer play a single game yet. You know after all that money we spent, so we're just we're just waiting for him to make his debut. Hopefully next week. So, we'll see.
1: TBD, right? We'll yeah.
0: See. So all right, well we've got a good show for you, four stories as per usual, mm-hmm. and I'll let Aubriana kick us off with. Uh, an interesting one.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting announcement um, that's out. Dollar Tree, yes, the place you love to uh, give your kids five bucks to go crazy in, is getting into the retail media business. So this is super interesting, right? They've de- they've debuted what they're calling their Chesapeake Media Group. Um, so this retail media network, it is. You know, up they're describing it as a platform for brands to engage with shoppers um, through this tailored and targeted digital experience. Um, so they are doing this with uh, through collaborations with Aki uh, Aki a- 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 Technologies. It's Aki and Swiftly. Um, you know, and and they're kind of touting this as like this is the ability for CPG labels to have this fully managed service get ad placements on Dollar Tree app, uh, Family Dollar website, Family Dollar mobile app. Um, And so, you know, they're saying you can obviously reach millions of families across, it says across America, but it's interesting because I know they have stores in Canada as well. Um, And they can, you know, there's a a variety of digital options here. So they've got sponsored searches, targeted content, merchandise suggestions, uh, dynamic ad placements. Um, You know, they're touting some closed loop reporting, full funnel solutions, lots of like buzzwords here. And, you know, they've got Dollar Tree obviously has about 15,000 locations through 48 states here in the US and five provinces in Canada. So they definitely have a good footprint and reach, Um, you know, and it's interesting because something else that was noted uh, in this story was that Walmart recently debuted um, you know this extended purview and brand for its media business, which which was Walmart Media Group. We've talked about them before, and now it's called Walmart Connect. So it's like more and more retailers are trying to figure out what they can do with their digital footprint, um, and how they can kind of leverage that real estate that they have there and different online placements that they have available. So to me, this is interesting. You know, when I think of like Family Dollar or Dollar Tree, I don't typically think of anything that is a name brands. So typically they'll probably be putting placements for CPG brands that perhaps aren't sold in their stores. That to me is a little fuzzy and a little confusing. Um, But, you know, I can always see that. I think there is the ability of, of, you know, retailers to take advantage, not only of their physical real estate, right? How can they use that uh, to reach more consumers, but also their digital, their digital real estate as well. Um, you know, I, I don't imagine that they have a ton of website traffic, but I could be completely wrong. To me, this seems like a very, you know, interesting fit, because, yes, lots of people shop on walmart.com, but I'm not sure that so many people shop on Dollar Tree or familydollar.com, Um so I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting kind of uh, announcement for me, but we'll see how it goes. I could see, you know, them offering up things maybe like as a on a supply side, but you know, the the media formation of a media network, um, you know, it's it's a little surprising. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Um, I'm I'm not so so surprised. I mean, um, because I think there's a a general movement, you know, for large retail um, brands that have you know lots of locations, thousands of locations. In this case, fifteen thousand plus, uh, to find try to find new revenue streams, right? Beyond sort of just um, you know the goods that you can buy in their stores, right? So you know, you mentioned Walmart, you, you know, Walgreens and CVS and all these guys, you know, are also sort of creating media networks and getting into, you know, that type of business. And I think, so, so I, I think there's an opportunity there for the CPGs, you know, to sort of leverage, you know, the, that real estate and find ways to engage with that audience. And, and I think, you know, while the, the online part of this you know is like you is the part I question in terms of you know how many people are shopping you know Dollar Tree online I don't don't have a clue I can tell you here you know the the Dollar Tree stores that that are here in in my neighborhood are packed with people all the time uh you know it's just one of those businesses that um you know people gravitate to especially in a pandemic especially when you need a lot of you know cheap simple items um you know and things like that and I think I guess the one area where I, I would counter, you know, having been into a few of these stores over the last number of months, um, I would say there is a fair bit of name brand CPG stuff in there, but I would say that's primarily from the perspective of, you know, confections, candy, chips, you know, you know, beverages that are available, you know, things like that, you know, and to some extent, you know, sort of paper products like toilet paper and things like that, you know, you, you will see you know, a a fair number of name brand, you know, cleaning products, things like that as well. Um, I think there's a lot of other things that are just sort of generic, you know, their own, you know, sort of no name type stuff as well. Um, but there is some opportunity there. And I think for me, the bigger play here is, is likely to be on the mobile app side of what they do, uh, in terms of, you know, the user base there and being able to present, you know, offers or, you know, things while people are physically on site or in store and you know sort of presenting you know CPGs the opportunity to engage you know and buy audience in that context i think you know is interesting you know many years ago we you know from an Lbma point of view we talked about this idea of merchants like this um, you know going even a step further which was you know at that time we were talking a lot about beacon networks and things like that and if you could understand exactly where somebody is in the store what aisle they're in or they're standing in front of the you know paper products section right now that's you know and, and you made that sort of awareness available to your media network through your media network to the brand and now that brand could present an offer for you know Charmin you know or whatever um, while you're standing there that becomes really powerful and really interesting I think um, so I think there's opportunities here to grow this type of thing and uh, I don't know a lot about uh, Aki Technologies or Swiftly either, so I'll do, I'll do some digging into that and kind of seeing what, what the capabilities are. But but I think it speaks to a broader trend of retailers with large footprints of stores and locations getting into the media business, you know, and finding new revenue beyond just the products they actually carry in the stores, uh, which, you know, margins uh, being pushed down all the time. So. Yep. Yeah. All right, second story, Verizon uh, has been in the news. They've launched a new uh, service called Hyper Precision Location Service, real-time kinematics. Um, so basically what they're saying is this is all about uh, providing a greater level of accuracy on location services than, you know, GPS does. So they say, you know, typical GPS is between three and nine meters of accuracy. Uh, they're talking about centimeter meter level accuracy here. Uh, which has lots of implications for mapping and robotics and, you know, manufacturing and lots of other industries. Um, And so, you know, I think as a conceptual uh, discussion, I will say, absolutely, the more accurate you can be, the better. Uh, Many of these industries rely on high precision data, uh, have had to do so with uh, a lot of indoor technologies combined with, you know, outdoor technologies. you know, some of that micro uh, location type of stuff, whether that's, you know, beacon technology or magnetics or smart lighting systems or other kinds of ways to to get to that level of accuracy uh, or using RFID or other things for tracking, you know, equipment or, or those types of things. So I think if there's a way to sort of power that uh, through um, the 5G network or, you know, those types of things that Verizon's involved in, I think that it may become more accessible and may become sort of easier uh, to deploy for a lot of these these types of businesses, and so that's where I see the real opportunity here. There's no question the accuracy makes sense. That being said, you know, contrasting as they do in their in their announcement here to, you know, uh, the the failing of GPS being you know so sort of you know th- three to three to nine meters there. The reality is, is the new GPS systems that are being deployed right now are, you know, much, much more accurate than that, right? We've talked about this just recently on the show a few months back, you know, they can also get now to, you know, one foot accuracy and things like that uh, in many, many cases or less. Um, and so I, I think that, um, you know, the technologies are, are overall, you know, all these technologies are just getting better, faster, more accurate. and, and there is opportunity for that. And there's demand for that type of accuracy. So I think, you know, this is a, a good time, a good uh, opportunity for Verizon to kind of jump on board of this. And I think too, depending on how you position this to some of the stuff we've been talking about a lot about, you know, the privacy changes and IDFAs and all of that, you know, one of the you know industries that i think is going to be able to step in and fill some of the gap left by you know the app sdk uh world that's sort of abandoning quickly because they can't you know get easy access to location data uh is the mobile operators themselves right stepping in and and making cell tower data more accessible and more available um it still needs protections it still needs privacy uh you know wrapped around that but i think um there's a lot of opportunity here and so they're delivering this um you know, out as a service, um, as a software as a service uh, type of platform. Um, they say that the HPL can be accessed and managed through a user API and the Thingspace IoT management platform. So there's APIs there, and there's there's ways to sort of quickly engage with uh, with what they've built here. So I think it's interesting. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I feel like they're probably following suit for what Vodafone's doing in some way, shape, or form, right? We talked about that, I don't know, six weeks ago or so. So getting that hyper-precise location, we know that there's great technology, you know, opportunities for that. I would say, however, you know, with Verizon Media, you know, it makes you wonder, like, what portion of this data is going to be available for um, media serving, right? So from an advertising perspective, um, you know, how much of that in real time are they going to be making available through their network, uh, for, for media, for ad serving, um, you know, and does this give them like a leg up in, in any, any sort of way? Um, you know, so it's interesting to me, that line I don't think has been spelled out yet, but we'll just kind of stay tuned and see what we hear from Verizon Media over the, you know, next <laughs> bit of this year, right?
0: For sure, for sure. And I think there's, like I said, I think there's a lot of opportunity for this. Um, and and I think the one of the interesting things for me, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, is I think as we come out of this pandemic and, and you know, the economy starts to recover, there is a lot of stimulus money being thrown around by governments uh, across, you know, all countries right now. And I think there are opportunities for certain industries in particular to kind of take some of that money and retool and bring new technology to bear and to what they do. And there, so there may be opportunities for companies like Verizon to benefit from that with a service like this. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. All right. So kind of on another topic that's similar, but not the same as, you know, we're, we're talking about privacy implications, identity, you know, graphs, and and maybe the demise of, but we have a new release of a new identity graph platform. It's Omna, O-M-N-A from Starista. And this is interesting. So, you know, they are touting, now this is a small, you know, a smaller company. I have not heard a lot of them. I've heard the name before, but I haven't heard much um, about them in the space. And they are touting that they're, Utilizing all of these real time uh, transactions, billions of, of transactions in real time, to form this identity graph that's enabling marketers, obviously, to have access to, they're saying, hundreds of identifiers across millions of online, offline, social, and household personas. Um, now, they're basing this on an IP graph. So, it, you know, rich, dynamic IP data of 90 million households. I'm assuming that's a US number and a device graph, which is connecting more than a billion uh, connected devices. And then a location graph that has this, you know, perpetually updated real time location, uh, intent and movement data. So, you know, my question is like, where are they getting this data from? You know, how is a smaller company like this gathering all of these things? Uh, You know, is this maybe better than it seems? So most, you know, most traditional mark, uh, most of the traditional household or identity graphs that are available right now are, really relying on cookies and mobile ad IDs where it looks like they're taking, you know, a different approach as those types of, of graphs are maybe phasing out or just having to pivot in their approach. And, you know, I think that that the IP is one way to go about it. It's not necessarily one-to-one, right? But you've got like a household mapping. Uh, you can get an idea of the different devices there, behavior of those devices to some extent to so when you are able to capture that data. Uh, But, you know, they're really pushing us more towards like a CTV or OTT opportunity, which is also interesting with, um, you know, where I am in the space now. Um, But, you know, they're saying that like streaming's continuing to rise, linear television is declining in terms of that ad spend. And so this, because obviously OTT, CTV are running across an IP address, you know, that makes it, you know, a potential fit there. I can see that because typically, you know, those... Those IP addresses likely are more a little more static than dynamic, you know, such as mobile IP addresses. So to me, this is interesting. Um, you know, I think that it's definitely more of a probabilistic type of a, an identity graph and a, and um, you know an a, an approach in that methodology versus it being deterministic and one to one, like a lot of the cookie or made data has been in the past. But I don't think it's a terrible shot at things, you know, I where I think that they're going to run into problems is obviously just, you know, data privacy legislation, IP address in many areas is still deemed PII, um, and, you know, there's obviously we've got CCPA, there's a lot of other ones that are, you know, coming across the countries and, and states as well, so you know it'll be interesting to keep an eye on this and see if other identity graph providers maybe pivot to this approach or if this just is not um it's not close enough to be to be accurate i don't know but we will see
0: yeah i i like you, I, you know, I, I don't know a ton about the company. I know they've been around for a while, you know, I've seen the name, you know, um, in passing a number of times over the years. Um, you know, like, I I, I I did a little bit of digging, um, as, as you were talking, and, you know, kind of realized that, you know, where I kind of knew the company from, uh, was from, you know, sort of their email uh, product. And so, you know, they, they have a uh, a well-known uh, solution in the marketplace for sort of, uh, you know, email list management and cleansing and verification and all that type of stuff. And so I think, you know, coming from that kind of a heritage into something that they're bringing here with, uh, you know, the identity graph and the location data all coming together, um, you know, it makes sense. You know, it's it's not unlike if you think about, you know, the origins of companies like Factual or, you know, companies like that in terms of, you know, how they came to be and, you know, sort of born out of the, you know, the old uh, Yellow Pages directory, uh, you know, community, right? Um, and we've seen a lot of companies sort of, you know, be birthed out of that uh, world and, and, you know, have tried to build robust digital uh, offerings. Um, I'm with you. I think there are a lot of challenges from on the privacy side. You know, we we talk about it almost every week on this show about, uh, you know, where this, where our industry is going from, especially on the location data side. But I think, you know, sort of matching that up with IP data, obviously you come from, you know, um, years in working in in the IP data world um, and uh, know know it better than I do. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that I, I think it's, it, it's, it's a solid approach. It's a good attempt. I, and, and I think that, you know, there's something here right now, whether or not they're going to be able to build a, a name for themselves in this segment, or they're going to get, you know, swallowed by behemoths like Facebook and others trying to come in and say, you know, you know, here, here's our, our play on this. I don't know. Right. And, and I think there's also, it seems from talking to, to people that I know on the regulatory side. You know there's new rules coming not just privacy stuff but you know uh much more controls around uh the collection of the data uh and the you know sort of you know taxation of 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 this kind of data and and on these companies and things like that so i think there are a lot of potential limiting factors here but that being said you know they've been around for a while they probably have a nice you know robust customer base that they can build upon and and you know and Basically, offer this product to right. So, I think uh, I think there's a lot of value in that, and uh, it's 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 an approach that I want to watch and a company that you know I'll need to pay more attention to for sure. All right, final story for this week, Uh, an interesting one here now. So, as we've been in this pandemic, uh, I'm sure you have, as I have. you know been doing a lot more uh ordering of food, you know, on delivery apps and services, DoorDash and Skip the Dishes up here in Canada and Uber Eats and you know all that Grubhub and so on. And um, you know, it's it's been a huge uh phenomenon uh and a huge amount of growth uh for the for those types of platforms, you know, over uh over this time frame. They one um um, stat I saw in the article here said online order volume for food chains has increased 225% since the pandemic began so massive massive growth and like anything that has massive massive growth um, as we've seen in our industry over the years whether it's just location data or anything like this there's always potential for fraud um, and what's happening here is uh, there, uh, there's the emergence of a number of fake restaurants appearing on uh, these platforms, on these, uh, you know, online mobile ordering platforms and that are stealing business away from legitimate players, um, you know, uh, positioning themselves, you know, with names that belong to, you know, other well-known brands and all kinds of things like this. And the two that they pointed out in particular, uh, in this particular article, uh, were in the San, Fr- San Francisco Chronicle, uh, from earlier this month and two sushi, s- sorry, sushi restaurants in San Francisco uh, using the names of legitimate businesses without permission to attract those customers. And so one uh, is, ca- is called, um, the restaurant's called Chrome, but they open for takeout and delivery in, in, their, in their location uh, using the name Blowfish Sushi, which was a restaurant that closed uh, back in, in uh, December of last year. So they basically said, you know, here's a well-known sushi brand. They're no longer in business. We're going to co-opt their name and, you know, uh, use that on these mobile ordering platforms to try and, you know, kind of, you know, win business based on somebody else's, you know, previous investments in in building that brand. And then similarly, uh, another uh, uh, one. So that one was on Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, and Postmates. And then another uh, one in San Francisco called Wagyu, Wagyu Mafia um which is apparently i i don't don't know this brand but apparently it's a it's a well-renowned uh sandwich shop with locations in hong kong and tokyo and you know people know that brand name and they're famous for a wagyu sandwich that sells for 180 dollars um and uh yeah and again like they basically you know found this location um and um set it up with that brand name and put it on there and they're basically selling, you know, sandwiches and whatever else using somebody else's brand name on DoorDash and Grubhub. And uh, anyways, both have been removed now from the platforms and, uh, you know, legal action is being taken. And, you know, potentially the the brands, you know, who, who held those, you know, operated those those companies and those names are, are going after them. But I think it just speaks to there is always this, you know, this this group out there that's going to try and take advantage of whatever the latest you know uh growth cycle is and and where the money's going and obviously you know mobile uh food ordering is a huge huge thing at the moment and um you know i find it fascinating that uh you know people will go to these lengths but people will do what they, they'll do i guess right to try and get around the system and and uh hack the system so uh what are your thoughts on this one
1: um yes i agree with you I, it always seems to me that it, it it's likely more work to hack the system than to actually like just do real work and get an honest paycheck. But I don't know, maybe people just enjoy that. <laughs> but my two thoughts are one, you know, I think there's a variety of, um, you know, authentication capabilities for fraud prevention, you know, in app or online that are available and likely wherever these, uh, you know, fake locations are, are putting their, their business, um, you know, whether that's DoorDash or Uber Eats or whoever, that they could likely build it themselves or they could easily just embed some extra authentication. There's a good opportunity for that. So maybe if you're in that business, reach out to one of those and see who's doing this. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a good business opportunity. And, you know, as a consumer, do your homework, make sure these places are still in business before you order. You don't want to not get your hundred and eighty dollars sandwich. So
0: yeah, that's crazy. Like um, you know, first of all, that somebody's ordering that you know through a mobile uh, app uh, to me. Um, but hey, people will do what they'll do, I guess. And uh, yeah, um, but but this kind of fraud is is going to be out there, right? And I think this is we're going to see a lot more of this type of thing before you know controls are put in place and and technology is used to curtail this i think um there's just there's just so much opportunity this this the systems are ripe for this type of uh hijacking so uh, an interesting story yep all right well that's it that's our show for this week uh, you've been listening to episode number 513 of location weekly we thank you as always for your time we appreciate it. Uh, please give us some love on the social media platforms uh, you know, that are out there. We're on all of them and uh, or whatever podcast uh, platform you're consuming this on. And uh, if you have story ideas, reach out. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show, of course. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Oh, and one last thing to point out. Um, for those of you who are on Clubhouse, uh, the lbma is hosting a, a new series that starts this Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, called Retail Local Conversations on Clubhouse. Uh, join us there. Um, and if you're not on Clubhouse yet and you want to join us, you know, reach out to me and we can set you up with an invite to, to get on board. So 2 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Uh, that's the 22nd of April um, on Clubhouse. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.